All right, everybody got your Bibles? Need a Bible? If you don't have a Bible, back table right there. Mr. Corey is always so gracious to hand those out, those blue books right there. If you are here tonight and you do not own a Bible, that's what those are for. Feel free, take that home with you tonight. That is yours. Take it and use it. So somebody tell me what book we've been walking through. Titus, okay, I was I was hoping, I try to make it easy. We put it on the screen. Try to make it easy for you. This book, we are jumping, do you know how many chapters are in Titus? Yeah, it's just three, three short chapters. But there's been a lot packed into the first couple chapters. We've walked through chapter one and chapter two. And tonight we are stepping into the final chapter. But I, I, I am thankful, and I'm going to ask you guys to, to give them a hand again, but for guys like Mr. Chad and Mr. Corey who have shared God's word with us the last two weeks. So y'all give them a hand. Um, you, you guys don't know what an amazing thing it is to have men and the women that help serve with the student ministry that, that love God's word and love you and are willing to, to spend the time to share it with you. So, in fact, Mr. John's going to be sharing with us next week. So y'all go ahead and give it up for Mr. John now because I know he's going to do a great job next week. I have no doubt. But we're, we're jumping back into Titus. Tonight we're going to be in chapter 3. So we're going to just step right into the questions. If, if you're new here tonight, um, I'm going to ask some questions and you're probably not going to know the answers to some of these and that's okay. But anytime we study a book of the Bible, it helps us to know some basic things about the book that we're studying. So these are some questions that I ask every single week when we walk through a book like this. So the first question I'm going to ask is, who wrote the book of Titus? No, yeah, it's Paul. It's written to who? Who was it written to? Who was it written to? Did you just say Peter? Good guess, but no. Okay, Paul wrote the book. Who did he write it to? Titus. It's the title of the book. He's writing to Titus. Okay, so he's given him some information here. Do you know where it was written when Paul wrote this? Where was he? If you, if you remember... Did you say there's a reason why he's out? Wow, he's calling you out in Assassins. Hey, 90, what did I say? 97%. Remember, hey, remember this. First of all, 85% of all statistics are made up on the spot. Okay, just remember that. So probably 97% of the time, if somebody says, where was Paul when he wrote this? If you say jail, you're probably going to be right. This is one of those 3% times. When we, we think it's most likely he was not in jail anymore when he wrote this. So we don't know exactly where he was. Some scholars believe if you read through the book of Acts at the end of Acts chapter 28, he's released from jail. Some people believe that he wrote it right after that, but we don't exactly know when. The better question is, do you know when we, when we understand it to have been written? What year or around what year? Okay, 62 to 68 A.D. What did you say, Nathan? You said 63, and that's right there in that window, so that's good. Okay, why was it written? Why did Paul write this to Timothy? Titus? Apparently, I need to look at my own notes. <laughs> why, why did Paul write this to Titus? Kurt? Okay, yeah, he's, he's writing this. He's, he's writing to encourage Titus and to give instruction for, for the church structure. Because as he talks about several times in the first chapter, he's talking about false teachers. 
and how there's people who are creeping into the church that look like Christians, look like disciples of Jesus, but the things that they're teaching don't line up with what the Word of God says. You know, we talked about it one week. It's, it's the Jesus and. Yes, you need Jesus to forgive you of your sins, but you also have to do this, 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 and this. And what Paul is saying is, Titus, that's not the way it works. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says it's Jesus and, and only Jesus. So he's trying to help him understand you've got to have the right kind of doctrinal, sound doctrinal teaching happening in the church. And in order to make sure that happens, there's some church structure. He talks about qualifications for leaders in the church. Now, he's specifically talking about men, talking about elders and when he's walking through that. But as we walk through those qualifications and you look at the rest of Scripture, those are things that every Christian should strive for. Everyone that says they're a disciple of Jesus, whether they're a man or a woman, whether they're in a leadership role or not in a leadership role, Scripture tells us that that's what we're supposed to look at or look at like as a disciple of Jesus. So this whole thing boils down to as he's writing this to Titus and trying to encourage him and give him instruction. He's basically communicating what you say you believe should play out in what you do. If you say you believe certain things, it should affect the way that you live in every area of your life. And as we've walked through these first two chapters, we've seen that, that Peter, golly, I am messing up all the names tonight, that Paul is talking to Titus. Feel free to correct me if I say it wrong again. As Paul is talking to Titus, what he's doing is he's addressing everything internally. He's saying, this is what the church should look like. If you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, these are the things you should look for in a church. This is the kind of teaching that you should look for so that when the time comes for you to interact with the rest of the world, you've learned right doctrine. Therefore, you know how to live as a disciple of Jesus. And then that affects every area of your life. It affects your school. It affects your sports team. It affects your workplace. It affects your home life. It affects every area of your life. But as we step into chapter 3 tonight, we see that he begins to change his focus. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand in honor of the reading of God's word and follow along as we walk through the first eight verses of Titus chapter 3. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, halted, excuse me, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. God, I pray right now that as we as we look at these verses tonight, as we spend time together and spend time in your word, God, I pray that we will be different because we've been with you tonight. God, I pray that you will help us to understand who it is that you've called us to be as people who say we are your disciples. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. 
So as I mentioned before, Paul has been writing to Titus. Everything he's talked about, every instruction he's given, it's been internal. This is the way the church should look. This is the way the church should operate. Now, in this chapter, he shifts the focus. He goes from the internal inner workings of the church to, okay, all of you that say you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to talk about how you interact with the rest of the world. We've already talked about what this should look like. Now we need to talk about what this looks like. And that's exactly what he starts with here in verse 1. Let me read that again. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now, Paul gives a pretty good list here in verses 1 and 2. And let me ask you, I hope you know the answer. Who's he writing this to again? Titus. And when he says right here, remind them, who's he talking about? Who's them? The church. To, to believers. The people that call themselves Christians. If you remember, he's writing this. They're, they're in a place called Crete. And as, as Mr. Chad shared with us a couple weeks ago, Crete, that was a place where what God was worshipped. Remember his name? Yeah, Zeus. Okay. Zeus, Zeus was this, this false god that was worshipped, and this was a false god, but, but people knew Zeus as, as this guy who basically did whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, wherever he wanted, with whoever he wanted. He basically lived for himself. He didn't submit to anybody. He didn't follow anybody's rules or anybody's guidelines, and that's the culture. You've got an entire culture that that is the god they follow. So now Paul is coming in and saying, Titus, you need to tell these believers right here that they need to be submissive to the authorities and to the rulers that they come in contact with. That's countercultural for these people. As, as the church is interacting with the other Grecians outside of their immediate church body, for them to act differently and to submit to the authorities and submit to the rulers when you've got an entire culture that follows a God that does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, that's countercultural. So for Paul to write this, this is going to look different. And it's not easy for people in the church a lot of times because let's admit, our natural tendency is to rebel, isn't it? As soon as you see a don't walk on the grass sign, what do you want to do? You want to walk on the grass, right? Somebody says, don't do this. Don't touch that button. You just go reach out and touch that button because you naturally want to do what you're told not to do. And yet what Paul is saying here is he's saying, you need to tell these believers, these disciples of Jesus Christ, that if they're going to interact with the rest of the world the way they're supposed to, they've got to be willing to submit to the authorities and the rulers that are in their lives. And he says right here, he says, instruct these believers to be obedient and ready for every good work. We need to pause on that for a second because that's an encouragement. If you sit here tonight and call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, you've got a command right there to be ready for every good work. And you may be thinking, well, what, what does that even mean? Well, what that means is God has things prepared that you're supposed to do. God has people in your life, people that you will come in contact with, that you're supposed to talk to, that you're supposed to be friends with, that you're supposed to share the gospel with. 
Scripture tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, as disciples, our, our job, our goal is to be looking for the things that God has for us to do. The way that we can show people the, the love and the mercy and the grace of God, the way that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people that we come in contact with. If you sit here tonight and you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, God has things for you to do. There, there's no question about that. That is a fact because that's what Scripture tells us. But you have to be ready for them. You have to look for them. And then he goes on and he gives a couple other things. He says, speak evil of no one. That's pretty simple. Don't talk bad about people. We're talking outside the church. Now, let's be honest. We're really good about talking bad about people inside the church. We're really good at gossiping about people inside the church. And we do this little thing where we make it sound like a prayer request instead of actual gossip. It's like, well, you, you need to pray for their family because their son snuck out and he went down to his girlfriend's house and the police had to pick him up and bring him home in the middle of the night. We need to pray for them. You're not asking for a prayer. You're gossiping. Or we need to pray for them because her husband lost his job because he was stealing money for the company and he might go to jail. Oh, we need to pray for that family. Well, do you need to pray for them? Yes. Do you need to tell everybody their business? No, you don't. See, we have a bad habit of doing that inside the church. Imagine what our reputation will be outside the church if that's our habit. If it's talking bad about people, if it's gossiping, if it's defaming people's character. He's saying right there, speak evil of no one. That means when you interact with people, yes, people may do things wrong. Yes, people may do things that upset you. Yes, people may do things that they need to be called out on, but you need to be careful how you do it. Because Scripture tells us that in word and in deed, we're supposed to honor God. And we've got to do what Scripture calls us to do. Basically, he's saying, be an encourager. Don't be somebody that tears people down. And then he goes on, he says, avoid quarreling. That just means stop looking for a fight. Be gentle. Stand firm in the truth. But that doesn't give you the right to go after and bash everyone that lives a different lifestyle than you. You need to stand firm on Scripture. When someone's living a lifestyle, making choices, doing things that are contrary to what God's Word says, you need to stand firm on it, but you've got to learn to do it in love. You've got to learn to do it because you care about someone's eternity. You care about someone's soul and someone's salvation, not just because you care about proving that you are right and they are wrong. That's what he's telling us here. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy. Don't think of yourself as more important or better than other people. All of these things are opportunities to show people what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus because you live in a world, we all live in a world that tells you to do the opposite of every one of these things. The world that we live in, it tells us this. It says if you don't agree with an, with an authority in your life, then you can just ignore them and do whatever you want to do. That's, that's the message that we hear every day. It tells us that if somebody upset you or somebody did something that you don't like, you go on social media and you rip them to shreds. Get into those little Twitter and Facebook arguments, which are ridiculous, by the way. It says if you've got a problem with somebody, make sure you win that fight. 
If somebody's living in ways that are contrary to Scripture, don't go to them in love. You take your Bible and you bash them over the head with it. You're not paying attention right now because it says don't do that. That's what Scripture says. And it also says make sure that you are looking out for number one, yourself at all times no matter what. That's the world we live in. Those are the messages. And if, and if you don't think that's what you're hearing every single day, stop and start paying attention to the things that you watch and the things that you listen to and the ads that you see. Everything screams for you to do everything contrary to what Paul has just told Titus the church should do. You and I have the opportunity as disciples of Jesus to live differently than the people that don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when we do that, when we take these truths and we live them outside of these walls, we begin to show people who Jesus is. But that means we have to be consistent. We've, we've got to do the things that we say we're going to do in here. And I'll tell you right now, it's a struggle to do that some days. Every person in this room probably knows that struggle is real. But it's something we're supposed to strive for because that's what God has called us to. It comes down to this simple thing. This passage, this scripture is telling us you need to love your neighbor and you need to live out the gospel. That's what he's telling us to do as disciples. It's what God has created you to do. If you've put your faith and trust in him, scripture says you are his child, you are his creation, you bear his image, and he has created good works for you to do, and you have the opportunity to live it out. But you can't forget who you were before that. Look at what it says in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. He says, Titus, you need to help these believers remember who they were before they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because this is who we are, who you were before you knew Jesus. And Paul is reminding Titus, it's way too easy for us to forget that's who we were if we have a relationship with him. In, in, in the world, or excuse me, in the church, we, we look out at an unbelieving world and we say they're living in ways that dishonor God. And oh my gosh, can you see what they did? I can't believe what they said. I can't believe who they're with. I can't believe this. I can't believe that. And we begin to think very highly of ourselves within the church. And, and Paul is saying, hold on a minute. That was you. You've, you've forgotten that you were chasing those same things before Jesus healed your life and your eternity. You were after those exact same things that you are condemning everyone else for. And some of us in here, and I'm in this boat, maybe you've grown up in the church. And maybe you look out at other people and you think, well, I've never made some of those big mistakes. I've never done some of those things. You need to understand that you're just as guilty as a sinner as anybody who's made any of those what we would say are big mistakes. Scripture says don't forget that is who you were. It's, it's kind of like this, and I hear this every year, specifically from high schoolers. Every year someone comes to me or multiple high schoolers come to me and goes, is there anything we can do about those middle schoolers? 
Those sixth graders are so annoying. I love you guys, but that's what they say. And the first thing I say to them every time is, you don't remember, do you? You don't remember what? You don't remember when you were in sixth and seventh and eighth grade. Oh, no, no, I was never like that. I was never annoying like that. I never did those things. I'm going to tell you right now, lies. Because you were. Let's be honest, some of you high schoolers still are. You just get smaller glimpses of it. Yes, I know. You are, you are evidence case number one right there. All right. High schoolers, if you don't believe me, ask some of the adults who are here now working with you that were here when you were in middle school, and they will back up everything I'm saying right now. Okay. But you forget who you were. You get to high school and you think, I'm a high schooler now. I'm cool. I can do what I want. I can say what I want. And you forget that you were that screaming little sixth grader running into walls and jumping in line and getting all the food and doing all that other stuff. Put your hand down. That too. All of that stuff. Put your foot down. Put everything down. Stay in your seat. All right. But you forget because that's how easily we forget. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying if you have been a disciple of Jesus for any time, it's very easy for you to start to forget who you were. The things that you chased after, the things that you thought were going to make you whole that just left you broken over and over and over. He says you need to remember who you were because if you don't remember who you were, then you're going to forget the appreciation for what God has done in your life. And he says exactly what that is in verse 4. He says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Look at the contrast between verse 3 and verses 4 through 7. Here's all of the things that you chased. Here's all of the things that you thought would fulfill you. Here's all of the things that continually left you broken over and over again. And here's what Christ did. And, and I love the way he makes this point. He says that he is the one that saved us right there in verse 5. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. If you sit here tonight and you claim salvation from your sins, you say that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you did absolutely nothing to gain that. Nothing to earn that. Scripture says it is Jesus that worked. It is God that showed his mercy when we cried out to him to save us from our sin. It is God that gave us the gift of his love and his grace. It's God who sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within you as a believer to help you even understand that you needed God to help you understand how the word of God shows you to honor him. It's God that made you an heir with Christ. God did all of that because of his own grace. It's like the song we just sang. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. He gave it freely. It's God that loved you and God that 
acted on your behalf to save you when you could not save yourself. Paul's telling Titus, you need to remind the believers that that's what God has done. Because when they forget that and they lose sight of who they were, we become a people that get to be known as judgmental and condemning and thinking we're better than everybody else. Remember who you were and remember what God's done in your life so that you can stay focused on what He's called you to do. And He rounds it out there in verse 8. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. He says you need to remember all of this because if you forget this, you're going to forget who God has called you to be. You're going to forget what God has called you to do. It is too easy for us to have a high view of ourselves and a low view of the grace of God. Paul says you need to keep those in the right order. You need to keep the grace of God as the highest thing you're looking at in a low view of yourself because God is the one who has put you in the position as his disciple and if you as a believer will allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to rule in every area of your life then you'll begin to live in ways that show that same love and grace and mercy of God to a world that needs it desperately so it goes back to that one statement love your neighbor and live out the gospel are you doing that tonight are you doing that when you go home? Are you doing that when you go to work tomorrow or whether you go babysit or, or go to the ball field or whatever it is that you're doing? Are you doing that? Are you showing the people you interact with outside of these walls who Jesus has called you to be? Are you loving your neighbor and are you living out the gospel? Only you can do that in your life in every area of your life. And that's my prayer for you tonight. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can come together and we can spend time together and spend time in your word. And God, I thank you for... God, I thank you that sometimes when we look at your word, it shines a really bright spotlight on the areas of our life where we're not living up to what you called us to be. God, help us to do that. Help us to show the same love and grace and mercy that you've shown us to those around us outside of the walls of this building. God, help us to show that same thing inside the walls of this building. God, help us to live out the gospel. And, and if you're here tonight and you've heard me talk a lot about being a disciple, having a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, and if you're here tonight and you don't know what that looks like, Maybe you've got questions about that. Feel free to come talk to me or talk to any of the adults in this room. Because God has created you for a greater purpose than anything else you can chase in your life. And once you understand that, man, I don't even have words for it. God, I pray right now, help each one of us to live out what you've showed us in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.